Hello, and welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane, the show where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. I'm Billy Ray. And I'm Joel. And welcome back. It's been a while. It has been a minute. This is the first episode we've recorded in ages. We had a little break after season three, but we are, we're back, we're ready to go. We are ready and raring. Yeah, it's been an eventful break, but it was needed for all of the things that happened in that break. Yeah, Um, I got a new job and Joel aged. I did, I did, guys. I'm really sorry. (laughs) Really horribly. You can probably hear it in his voice. Yeah, I know, it's terrible. (laughs) So today we are doing season four, episode one, Now You Know. Yes, we are. And as usual, we take it in turns to lead the episode. So today I'll be leading the episode and going through the breakdowns while Joel's going to give us some fun facts and trivia. Do you have anything to start us off with? I sure do. I surely do. So so the episode premiered on ABC on September 30th, 2007, and it was written by series creator Mark Cherry and directed by Larry Shaw. Now You Know, which is the episode title, drew over 90 million viewers, becoming the fourth most watched program of the week across all the networks. But it was the least watched Desperate Housewives season premiere so far. The episode received positive reviews from critics who agreed that it showed significant improvement over the show's third season, and critics also praised the addition of Dana to the cast. Dana Dennelly, Catherine. I was going to say. Uh, the title of the episode Now You Know comes from a song in the Stephen Sondheim musical Merrily We Roll Along. Uh, Mark created the character of Catherine as a character that the audience loves to hate. Dana was originally asked to be Brie, which I think was some trivia that we had in season one. Uh, and she was asked three times and she turned it down each time. And the role eventually went to the beloved Marsha Cross. And when writing the role of Catherine, Mark went back to Dana and was determined to get her this time. And the reason that Dana turned down the role of Brie was because she felt it was too similar to her role on Pasadena. But she did appreciate the fact that Mark came back to her after turning a role down because she said that never really happens in Hollywood. Like once you turn a role down, you're kind of blacklisted from that person. (laughs) So... Tuck Watkins originally auditioned for the role of Adam, who will play Catherine's husband, and that role eventually went to Nathan Fillion. But we will see Tuck. He's not going to be a stranger, and he actually appears very shortly as another character in a few episodes, I think. Who? Uh, He comes as Bob. Oh, right, okay. Bob, yeah. Uh, And following the episode's broadcast, the show's producers and ABC were criticised for including an alleged racial slur in the episode. In the scene where Susan's character is informed that she may be entering menopause, she replies, Okay, before we go any further, can I check these diplomas just to make sure they aren't, like, from some med school in the Philippines? And that did not sit well with audiences around the world, essentially. ABC received complaints and an online petition gathered 30,000 signatures in three days after the episode's original broadcast. I didn't even pick up on that. Which is a hell of a lot. So several politicians and medical professionals of Filipino descent especially condemned ABC for airing the line and ABC announced that the episode had been removed from online platforms in order for the line to be removed. The line was also removed from future broadcasts and DVD productions of the episode. Maybe that's why I didn't pick up on it. Yeah, because it won't be in anything now. They've essentially removed it. I think she just, all all she says in the scene now is, before we go any further, can I check these diplomas? And then the rest of it's I think so. Damn, Susan's a racist. Yeah, I know, right? Surprise, not really. No, not really. So, um, so yeah, that is, that was a lot of trivia I threw at you for episode one, but that is all the trivia. It was pretty good. Catherine's a very welcome addition to the series. Um, She's a character that I grew to like quite a lot, actually. Mm, until they ruined her at the end. I <laughs> despised her return in the last the last season. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
and uh, <laughs> we'll get there, guys. We will get there eventually. eventually. Before we move on, I've also got some trivia that I did from the previous episode that I couldn't include because it was a spoiler. How dare you? It's my trivia to... <laughs> so for season three, episode 23, I had some spoiler trivia, which was, this is the first finale in which no one dies. Though Edie does fake a suicide attempt, but I couldn't say that. No. In case our listeners hadn't watched this episode. Yeah. Because it would have ruined the impact of the fake-out death. Yeah. Yeah. So, the last episode, the finale, no one dies. No first one, time. No, no one does die. It was a nice finale, actually. Well, <laughs> obviously not for Edie. But, you know, there was a wedding and, and things like that. It never happens in Desperate Housewives. <laughs> Pretty sad ending, though. Yeah, but, yeah, it was sad. So, <laughs> first previously in ages. Yeah. Mike and Sue finally got married. Sue. That's so rude. Racist Sue. <laughs> Lynette was diagnosed with lymphoma. And her overbearing mum, Stella, showed up with suitcases. Bree returned to Wisteria Lane with a big, fat, fake baby belly. Try saying that five times. I know, right? Gabby got married to that bastard Victor, who is only marrying her for the Latina vote. And Carlos broke up with Edie following the whole fake pregnancy stuff, got with Gabby, and then Edie hung herself in the biggest cliffhanger ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally the biggest cliffhanger. I would say she pretended to hang herself, but she does actually hang herself. Yeah. She just doesn't attempt to commit suicide but she does hang herself but we'll we'll get there yeah we will we will (laughs) so are we ready yes we are okay here we go season four episode one in a very Edie move and by that i mean very manipulative Edie actually pretends to commit suicide she holds onto the ceiling beam so that she can look like she is hanging herself when carlos walks in unfortunately as carlos starts to make his way up to Edie, she hangs herself ready for him to see her hanging body but karen distracts him and so she ends up actually just hanging herself with no one to rescue her karen coming at this exact moment is just perfect it really if is. it's just it, not for Edie, obviously but for the audience it is just perfect <laughs> i know you just get to see her face while she's hanging like oh shit <laughs> luckily after a discussion about putting the wrong bins out they notice her body hanging in the window and carlos runs upstairs to rescue her and that was our intro <laughs> We know we can count on Desperate Housewives to give us a crazy opening scene. Right. Like, they just, they never fail. Following that crazy cliffhanger. Yeah. Like, the irony of Karen talking to Carlos and discussing trash when Edie's just a few feet away. (laughs) Like, that's just... (laughs) So Mary Alice narrates about how some people lie awake at a certain time of night and think about the secrets they're keeping from their friends. In Susan's case, it's her secret wedding... In Lynette's case, it's her tumour, and for Brie, it's her fake pregnancy. Mary Alice doesn't mention Gabby, but I think with Gabby, it's the fact that she's having an affair with Carlos. Yeah. Following this, the ladies go into the hospital because of Edie's fake suicide attempt, and Carlos is quite upset because Edie left a suicide note that implies it was his fault, basically. These women don't care about Edie. They have the gossip. Oh, yeah. They're all there, like, running down the hospital, like, oh my god, Carlos, is she okay? Right. They, they know they're on, It's like they know they're on a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> Lynette thinks that they should call Gabby, and Carlos jumps to action at the mention of her name. But why? Why? Why, you may ask. Well, we cut to Gabby, and she's packing her bags while Victor waits for her. She's reminiscing on her kiss with Carlos, and she's promised that they'll run away together. She then gets a call from Carlos, who tells her about Edie, and he says that he can't leave with her anymore. Gabby wants to run away right now, but Carlos says it'll have to be in a few weeks, and says no. Mm. Damn. Like... 
surely if Edie was doing this to get Carlos back, you wouldn't write a suicide note blaming him? Because <laughs> what if it does the opposite and pushes him away further? Like, what if, like, if it would be me, I would read that suicide note and be like, damn, well, you really hate me, huh? Yeah, well, like, well I'm I, off. Get better soon. I'm clearly not good for your mental health. I should leave. <laughs> Blessed day. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> Poor Gabby, though. They were going to elope, and now they can't. Because Carlos is like, nah, I can't do that. Yeah, I know. Like, they're clearly meant to be together, Gabby and Carlos. Like, destiny is pulling them back together and all of that sort of jazz. But this scene does prove that Gabby still has some growing to do. She can't be alone. Yeah. She even said that. She's like, I can't just run away to be alone. Yeah, like, that's crazy. I would rather stay and work it out with Victor. And so I'm just like, "Mm, it shows that you've still got some growth, girl, if you're willing to just jump straight back to Victor instead of being alone. Mm. We cut to one month later, and Susan and Mike are celebrating their first wedding anniversary. Well, their month, <laughs> their month, their month anniversary. <laughs> well, so anyway. It's not really their wedding anniversary. <laughs> it's no, it's not really. It's a, it's it's been a month since they got married. Mm. <laughs> I also love that Susan hand drew this card. It looks really playful and cute. It, it was a really nice. It was really nice artwork. Actually, just to confirm, did they mention that she drew it herself? No, but it's kind of implied that she yeah. drew it herself. She was like, the person that made this card must love you a lot. Or, Whatever she said. Yeah. So it's kind of implied that it was her. It looks like her style. Yeah. It all seems good, but Susan is already spiralling <laughs> and worried that Mike isn't happy despite all of his best efforts to convince her otherwise. And this is what we call self-sabotage. Yeah. Mike's a heterosexual man. Just because he doesn't shout about it every five minutes doesn't mean he's unhappy. I would say from this scene, for a heterosexual man, he's showing a lot more emotion than most of them. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's, he's your all-American average Joe. He just doesn't need, he doesn't believe it needs to be said every 20 minutes. Mike then, looking out of the window, says that a moving van has just pulled up. Oh, deflection. New neighbour of the season, maybe? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There is a reason why Sue is being so overdramatic, which will come up though. Yeah. It's not just self-sabotage. Well, no. Before we can find out who just pulled up though, we cut to Brie and Andrew, who are having a bit of a strange conversation. First, she asks him to help strap on her fake baby bump, and he says no. And then she says, I'll remember that next time you need money for leather pants. <laughs> Does this mean Andrew has a thing for leather? I don't know, but I was just like, what? Andrew gets his mum to buy his leather trousers for him? I thought the 90s were over. Yeah. I have to say as well, I think I watched it and I thought, I wonder what else he buys with his mum's money. I wonder if he uses these words which aren't really what he's buying. Mm. <laughs> leather pants? More like... Never like chaps, chaps or something. Well, yeah. <laughs> anyway, he doesn't want to help her with the scheme because it's completely normal for teenagers to have babies nowadays. Orson then comes downstairs and mentions the moving van to build more anticipation, and we still don't find out who it is. <gasps> no, not yet. Nope. I love how Bree's aim with all of this is to avoid being white trash. <laughs> that's it. We might as well just sit on the porch and play banjos. <laughs> like that's that's her aim in this. She's faking this pregnancy. Because she doesn't want to come across as white trash. Yeah, she's got a reputation to uphold on Wisteria Lane. Yeah, I relate to that. Instead, we cut to Lynette, who is woken up by one of the kids banging on the door, and bam, we get the bald Lynette reveal for the first time. Mm Mm-hmm. I imagine that seeing a bald woman for the first time can be quite shocking or surprising for a lot of people. Would you be quite shocked or surprised the first time you saw a bald woman, if you remember? No, not really. No? No. It was bald, it was no hair, it was just normal. Some people don't have hair. So it literally just had no effect on you then? No. I think um, it felt normal to me because when I was little, my mum's best friend had cancer. Mm. So she would, and I was really little at the time, so she would quite often take her wig off. Yeah. And let you and, play with it. And she'd be bored. Uh, yeah, she would let us wear it, which was 
always fun. Fierce. That's fierce. So, yeah, I think it never felt weird to me just from seeing her name was Sarah. Yeah. Um, with her bald head. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think when you're exposed to things like that young an age, you, you grow up and you're like, yeah, it's a, it's a bald woman. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, there are pe- men don't have hair. There are people there are people out there that just don't have hair. Like, when it came to a woman, it was just no different to me, really. Because I imagine that seeing someone bald for the first time could be surprising or shocking, I imagine, mm. when you're young. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. So Lynette is trying to find her wig. Tom is being super unhelpful, as per. Yeah. And it basically comes out that she hasn't told anyone that she has cancer yet. Not her kids, not her friends, no one. Mm. Only Tom knows. The kids then mention the moving van, and again, we still don't find out who is moving. Parker woke them up for that. It's like, knock, knock, knock. Mum, there's a moving van. I'd be pissed. Uh, that's kids for you. I'd be like, you fucking kidding me. You've yeah. woken me up for this. Get back to bed. Getting excited over the littlest thing. Yeah. <laughs> Waking you up. Of, like, of all of the blooper reels that Tom could buy for Lynette, he gets her a sports blooper DVD. <laughs> she's like, I can't find my wig. And he's like, it's on the side. And she's like, no, that, that, the only thing that's on the side is a sports blooper DVD that you thought I'd find funny. No, Tom knew that he would find it funny. Even with cancer, Lynette, he don't care about you. It's one of those things where you buy someone a present so that you can have you it. You can have it and use it and read it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever Do you ever buy someone a gift that you use before you give it to them? Oh, yeah. I mean, Lottie, Lottie's Joe Christmas present I'm going to be reading before I give it to her. I I bought either my mum or my sister a book, and I really wanted to read it. So I was like, you know what? Their birthday's two weeks away. I'm sure I have time. Yeah. <laughs> the only problem is I, I don't want it to look like it's been used. Uh, well, yeah. I also bought my nephew the new Spider-Man game, and I was so tempted to play it before giving it to him. But I was like, no, I can't because it's in the plastic. Yeah, but you could have replasticed it. How? I don't know, just like wrap it, like keep it in that same bit of plastic, slide it back in and then like wrap it in a bow so it just looks like the it's not unwrapped. Yeah, put it in a bow that has some sort of adhesive along the bow so when he unwraps it, it looks like it just ripped because of the bow. Exactly. We're, we're really bad people. Yeah, we are really bad also, people. Also, we should really stop giving away our secrets on this podcast because people that know us listen to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Guys, we're just being overdramatic. We don't really do this. <laughs> no, I don't I don't use people's gifts before I give it to them. That would be terrible. Also, who are these people that are giving Lynette unintentional reads? I can deal with people telling me my hair has never looked better. <laughs> oh my god, I wrote a note about that as well. This, that unintentional read. Your hair's uh, never looked better. Like, excuse, excuse me. Nobody knows that she's got cancer and it's a wig, so it's not an intentional read. It's clearly unintentional, but still, the audacity. Also, it's only been a month. That wig isn't going to be looking like her hair's never looked better for long. Yeah. The reason her hair used to look bad by these people's counts is, you know, kids are touching it and she, there's things getting in it. Yeah. That's going to happen Running with her a wig. restaurant, she's getting parmesan in it mm. it's gonna happen with the wig yeah it will eventually so tensions with gabby and victor are clearly rising as he's trying to make her sell her house despite the fact that she's already told him that she isn't ready like you're selling her house behind her back victor being pushy and rushing things again surprise i'm not surprised as someone that works in conveyancing law uh, american conveyancing law is weird how so because the fact that he can just put her house in the market behind her back it's probably because he's in quite a high position, so they'll probably overlook it, maybe. I don't and know. just telling the realtor to sell it for whatever, as long as it goes quick, is just incredibly disrespectful to Gabby. He spends this entire scene not seeming to understand why she may be reluctant to sell the house that she's spent so many years in up mm. to this point. But I'm like, you know what you're doing. Yeah. Victor then moves in for a kiss, and she quickly dodges right out of the way, and she's like, oh, look, a moving van. She avoided that kiss like Charity avoided Scarlet in RuPaul's Drag Race UK. 
You know, when they were like picking each other for the mini challenge. You know, by the and time this like, episode comes no, out, that's going to be so irrelevant. It's going to be so irrelevant, I know. <laughs> I love it. I know. This new neighbour is already Gabby's BFF. Gabby's they, like, oh my god, whoever this person is, thank you. Save me from the curse. Yeah. They're really building up the moving fan, guys. Mm. Getting a big build up here. Better be someone exciting. The ladies have all gathered around to look across the street at the moving van and see what gossip they can find out. So they're just sort of like, oh, dining chairs. Oh, renovating. Must be well off. Blah, blah, blah. This is when a car pulls up and out climbs our new neighbour of the season, Catherine. What a queen. Looking stunning, by the way. Yeah. Style, bright orange hair. The sunglasses. And Susan knows her. Yeah, she's a new old neighbour. Yeah, she's, yeah. <laughs> basically it's nice to just have all four of them on the street gossiping again yeah it's I, been such well, a long time since we've had that what we've you know i like the gossip scenes yeah but it's just been a long time since we've had that with brie gone and everything yeah all four of them just gathered together looking across the street and chatting yeah those are the best scenes so we get introduced to Catherine as the ladies meet her and she catches up with susan apparently she moved here because of her auntie isn't doing so well and her husband found a job here yeah her husband's a doctor, by the way, which is important for later. We get away from him, and we also meet Catherine's daughter, Dylan. Susan says that Julie will be very happy to see her again, but Dylan has no idea who Julie is. <laughs> yeah, she's like, who's Julie again? Oh, the disrespect. I mean, Dayton, this whole family are just disrespectful. Adam's the only one that's been nice so far. Even Catherine's like, Adam, can't you wave or something? And Adam's like, I'm carrying boxes, bitch. Like, <laughs> wave for me. I know, right? He's walking up the stairs holding a box and she asks that. So, like, ugh, Adam, can't you like wave or something? <laughs> Fuck you. Also, Catherine wishes she, she were Brie, okay? But in this scene, Brie would never let anybody put a cup down on a table without a coaster and Catherine just like puts it down no coaster she just puts the cup down yeah on the table brie would never so that's already one point to brie just saying so at the moment you're comparing them and yeah, she's like hell, a second rate brie hell yeah i'm comparing them she is a second rate brie i love Catherine. don't don't get me wrong absolutely love Catherine. but in the early stages she is second rate brie and i am comparing them i enjoy Catherine. i think she's a very good neighbor of the season we then get some awkwardness with Catherine and brie <laughs> A surprise. Yeah. As Catherine wants Brie to chop down her tree. Mm. And we've got a clip for this. Look at my view. Your garden is absolutely breathtaking. And that pine tree in the backyard? It's my pride and joy. Oh, it absolutely kills me to have to ask you to cut it down. Excuse me? Oh, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be able to grow my prize-winning vegetables with that tree blocking all the sunlight. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry about your vegetables, but that pine shields my view of the Purcell's backyard. And if you had ever seen Mr. Purcell sunbathe, well, you'd know exactly what that tree means to me. <laughs> well, I don't want to quarrel. We will not touch that tree until we have come up with a solution to our problem. Curtains, perhaps. This bitch. I think I speak on behalf of every viewer when I say, Catherine tough titties right like this bitch just comes back to the lane challenges our girl brie and acts like she's the queen bee that's because she knows that brie's in charge yeah now i just for, for all of our listeners right now i want you to all remember this moment okay i want everyone to remember who started this war cannons were fired from Catherine's side first i think this is interesting because brie's in charge and Catherine seems to have picked up on that really subtly and she's already challenging her yeah because i think Catherine wants to be in charge yeah i may be looking too far into it but it's a tv show and this is a podcast and that's what we do yeah i think that's the dynamic mm. and Catherine, we don't 
encourage deforestation no and chopping down trees no leave the trees be <laughs> yeah like what are you gonna do to that tree when you chop it down like turn it into wood chips leave the tree be yeah they are providing oxygen they are providing a service yeah to this like, world <laughs> she then ends the scene saying that she's throwing a barbecue and everyone's invited including the newcomers and then she says this while she looks at brie <laughs> yeah right you are the newcomer girl like nobody on this lane even remembers you anymore you know what, this reminds me of season two of Orange is the New Black when V enters the prison and kind of wants to take back her power that she had before. Yeah, yeah. Because it's very much, she's very much saying here, I was here, I left, and then Brie came in and kind of took my place, but I'm back. Yeah. And I want it back. And I want it back now. Ooh. Thanks for keeping the throne warm, girl, but I'll take my seat now. <laughs> <laughs> right? When you play the Game of Thrones, you either win or you die. <laughs> so, yeah. Catherine's the newcomer now, Okay. Oh, you lovely newcomers. Yeah, that's you. She started out so nice and then she got so shady. Yeah. So Brie and Orson are shopping around and run into Mrs. McKeever in the shopping mall. A neighbour, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing so. She wants to feel the baby bump. Brie awkwardly tells her no and keeps backing away as the lady tries to touch the, you know, the fake baby belly. And she eventually threatens the old lady, grabbing her arm and telling her to back off. Are you going to back off now? <laughs> Which... <laughs> apparently has happened before as Bree says why do old ladies always want to do that and Orson's like I don't know but you've got to stop roughing them up <laughs> Bree you're hurting me <laughs> <laughs> I love that so this good. has happened before it's so good but like who does this old woman think she is okay this is a message to everyone out there a no is a no yeah okay. I, I think it was a generation thing wasn't it but yeah. nowadays if you want to touch someone's belly and they say no if you give them a little jiggle, you can get them to move. No, okay? Like, pregnancy <laughs> does not give you the right to touch a person. If the expectant mother says no, it's no. And this old lady got what she damn well deserved. Bria's fierce. That slap and grab that she did to that woman's wrist. Oh, queen. Oh, my God. She's been taking some martial arts classes while she was hiding away from the other girls. <laughs> <laughs> this is why Bree's in charge. Queen Bree. Yeah, come on, Catherine. Step up to the plate. Are you going to take Bree on in a fight? Susan is at the hospital for a checkup when Dr. Handsome, or Dr. Mayfair, I should say, walks in, and it's Catherine's husband. It is. It's Adam. Adam. This is a surprise to Susan, who didn't know that he was that kind of doctor, and it turns out that she's here to get, you know, her private parts examined mm. by her old friend's husband. <laughs> it's just really awkward. It's really uncomfortable. Like, I'm sure he's professional, but I wouldn't want Tia checking my testicles. I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> You're so weird. <laughs> it would just be weird having your friend check my testicles. Or my friend's partner. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Ash could check my testicles. Hey, Ash. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. It's definitely a Susan scene because it's really awkward with the awkward sound. The and then we bumbly get the, music. Yeah, we get Susan's theme in the background. <laughs> so <laughs> obviously hilarity ensues as Susan can't relax and the doctor struggles to do the checkup. Like maybe, like Adam keeps telling her to relax, but maybe girl is just tight. <laughs> <laughs> He's telling her to relax. Maybe she is relaxed. Good for you, girl. Yeah, good for you, girl. Maybe well, she's actually, doing squats and stuff at her desk, like pelvic floor exercises to tighten that up. I don't think being that tight is a good thing for a woman, maybe? Maybe not for a woman. Mike probably isn't complaining. <laughs> <laughs> it's cute that Catherine's been talking about Susan for years. Yeah. Because even in the scene, Adam's like, oh, it's nice to put a 
face to the name and then he goes down on her. Um, but it's it's cute that Catherine has been talking about Susan for so many years, considering that Susan has never mentioned Catherine before in her life. <laughs> that's Well, yeah, that's true. Do you reckon that he's going to go home and talk to Catherine about Susan's vagina? Yeah, maybe. Go about girl, it was real tight. Quite healthy. Quite healthy at all. <laughs> it was a mess down there. <laughs> Train wreck. <laughs> it was busted down there. Gutted. Sewer gates. <laughs> so eventually, Susan gets the good news that everything is totally fine and normal, but she gets irregular periods. He asks if she gets hot flushes, and Susan clearly reacts negatively, not wanting to hear the word menopause, mm-hmm. and strictly insisting that she isn't old enough for menopause, but she does succumb to being tested when he- she sees that he went to Harvard in 1997 and begins to feel old. Yeah. Oh my god, I am old. <laughs> when he mentioned the irregular periods, my mind instantly went to pregnancy. Really? Yeah, I was like, irregular periods, she's pregnant. Mm. You know, she's been with Mike for a whole month. She must, yeah. be, she must be pregnant, right? But this doctor just sees her age and instantly thinks menopause. Well, yeah. I mean, because <laughs> when you get to that age, it, is start, it starts to... You teeter across from pregnancy to menopause. Like, she's in that teetering age where it's still early. Like, it's early menopause for her, but it's certainly not unheard of that she can hit menopause like that. True. But is she displaying any other symptoms of menopause? I don't The think, hot flushes. I think, does she have hot flushes? I thought it was established that she doesn't. Well, no, she said she does. But she's like, but Mike's a big spooner. So she says, yes, she has hot flushes, but she gives an excuse. Yeah, so it's only at night Mm. when the radiator is hugging her. Yeah. So Lynette is with Stella at school for a play that Parker's in. And she kind of gets bullied into doing this fundraising gala by Muriel, Mm. who is, you know, a super bossy PTA wine mum type. This scene belongs in Bad Mums. (laughs) Yeah. This is a bad, this is like a deleted scene from Bad Mums. She's the Christina Applegate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Stella tells her that was the perfect time to use the cancer card, but Lynette is insistent that she doesn't want the cancer changing things in her life, and this is going to be Lynette's storyline for this episode, guys. Yeah. We then have a typical Stella moment as she tells Lynette that they should leave as soon as the lights go down because Parker's already seen her in the audience now, so he won't even know they're gone. Mm. It's Friar Tuck. It's a thankless role. <laughs> I hope I'm like Stella when I'm a grandparent. I know. She's like, well, we can go now. He's seen you. He'll never know. It's a shepherd, babe. Let's just go. Um, that's very Edie energy from the last episode when she's like, I like to just sneak in at the end and put on a few tears and pretend I was there the whole time. Yeah. Did you ever get any thankless roles in... Oh no, I bet you always got a good role when you were in plays. Um, no, I was a thankless role in Oliver in year seven. Jordan got the big role in Oliver. Who did you play in Oliver? I was like just a background person. Oh, Jordan's his brother, by the way. Yeah, Jordan's my brother. He was Bill Sykes. That's a great role. That is a fantastic role. But I was year seven. Like, I was 11, 12. I was never going to be like Bill Sykes. Um, I wanted Oliver. There was a kid in my year that got Artful Dodger. You wanted Oliver. The Artful Dodger is the role. Yeah. That's the role. Yeah, but I was blinded by the fact that the show is called Oliver. And I was 11 years old. I was like, I want to be Oliver. It's the title character. (laughs) (laughs) You saw Oliver and you were like, Joel. (laughs) (laughs) I do that with everything. Okay. (laughs) Hamilton. And the teacher's like, it's called Oliver. <laughs> so I want to be Oliver. But some kid in my year did get Artful Dodger, which I was livid about, considering he did not care about drama whatsoever. And I've been doing drama classes for like three years by that point. That's because when it comes to casting, it's a popularity contest, really. It really is a popularity contest. Someone needs contest. to make a TV show about primary school dramas. <laughs> they saw this 11-year-old gay kid and they were just like, no, he's too gay for Dodger. He just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't think I actually got any parts in any plays when I was mm. little. I was always in, because 
whenever they couldn't find roles, they'd just have a whole row of people that were singing at the front. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, it was the choir. Yeah. So yeah. I was just in the choir most of the time. I was, I was also a thankless role in Calamity Jane. When what? we did Calamity Jane at school. Your school did Calamity Jane? Yeah, that's how I, that's how I like really grew to love Calamity Jane. Who did you play in Calamity Jane? I was just a random like background extra. And then I also got to sing, um, you know, when Calamity goes to Chicago yeah. to um, get the, the actress. Yeah. I was one of the background singers for the actress when she sang her song like "It's, it's Harry, I'm planning to marry." <laughs> oh, that's amazing! And so I, I like I was one of the background singers for that as well. Excellent. Calamity Jane was great. I loved Calamity Jane. That was so much fun. <laughs> you still love Calamity Jane? I still, I still do. We now watch it every Boxing Day. Every Boxing Day, guys, without fail, Calamity Jane. Oh yeah, so so she he sold her up the river. So what? <laughs> <laughs> So Lynette is sitting through the play, which, by the way, has much better production value than any play I ever did in primary or secondary school. Americans take it seriously. Right? There's an entire backdrop. Yeah, they have, like, backdrops, like, they have people coming in to make the sets and stuff, like, they take it full on. But she starts to feel sick. Stella offers to help her out, but it's too late, so she grabs the nearest handbag, throws up in it, and puts it back under the chair. But it turns out that it wasn't Stella's, it was Muriel's. The PTA yeah. wine mum. I don't know whose dad it was next to Lynette, but it was so rude. Well, Lynette's like, oh, I'm going to be sick. And then that whoever's dad was sat next to her was like, I'm right there with you, lady. <laughs> <laughs> That's so rude. I know. Oh, I'll leave the kids alone. Also, I've just seen, I've got trivia for this, like a little bit of trivia for this scene that I completely forgot I had. Muriel was in Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. Yeah, she was. She was the, the She was the, the bully. The bully. She was... <laughs> I knew I recognised her. They claimed they invented post-its. <laughs> I thought I knew I recognised her. So, what have you been up to? I invented post-its. <laughs> Guys, if you haven't seen Robin Michelle's High School Reunion, you've got to watch that film. It's so good. Lisa Kudrow and Mila... I can't remember her name. I can't remember her surname. Mm. But Mila is her first name, uh, who played the leads. And honestly, it is fantastic. And it's on Disney+, Plus, guys. Yeah, please, like, you've got to watch that film yeah. and then go back to us and thank us for it. Let's not tangent. <laughs> no, let's not tangent. But actually, when I pick a movie to watch tonight, it might be Romeo and Miss High School Reunion. I'm fine with that. So we're now at Catherine's Barbecue, which I'm breaking down into little mini sections. Good idea. So we're at Catherine's Barbecue and she has lots of guests and everyone looks lovely. And she goes to reintroduce herself to Karen in hilarious fashion, but also poor Karen, because she probably gets this a lot. She gets proper close to Karen and loudly says, Hello, Mrs. McCluskey. How are you? But Karen can hear her just fine. And she also remembers Karen perfectly. So Karen, this lady left an impression on Karen. Yes. Clearly. And Karen, call her out. Right? She's, she can, I can hear you fine. Yeah. She remembers how Catherine ran off out of town suddenly without even saying goodbye. And this unexpectedly good memory seems to be a concern for Catherine, who very quickly excuses herself to mingle with the other guests. Excuse me, must mingle. So <laughs> I hope I get bougie enough to say that at the house parties that I have. Excuse me, must mingle. <laughs> well, we only ever have like four people over at a time. <laughs> I know. It's going to be me at our wedding when I'm like, caught with people I don't want to talk to. Excuse me, must mingle. So clearly they've given Catherine a good introduction and as the neighbour of the season they're building up some mystery. mystery and it all starts here with Karen saying that she just ran off yeah. without even saying goodbye. Right in the middle of the night without, without a goodbye. Which is a bit of a theme for our neighbour of the seasons. It really is. They do, the neighbours just do tend to get up and leave. Right? So 
Catherine, what's going on? Yeah. And Karen, again, call her out. Like, loving this for Karen. She's just like, so what happened, girl? I know, she's so nosy. I ain't forgotten. This was, what, how long ago? Seven years or something? They did say a little while ago, I think. It must be about seven years because Gabby wasn't on the lane. Neither was Brie. Exactly. So um, I think it has to at least have been seven years. Yeah. So we cut over to Susan and Mike, who are also at the barbecue. And Mike doesn't want to eat the eggs as he thinks they smell a bit out of date. And clearly, still thinking about menopause, uh, this kind of triggers Sue, who... um, (laughs) These eggs are past their prime. So you just shun them and throw them away. <laughs> she then gets called over to a table by the oldest ladies at the barbecue who have saved a seat for Susan, her. Susan, we've saved you a seat. So she starts crying and runs off. <laughs> That's just comedy gold. Absolute comedy gold. Like, I just I just want to shout out, because it's about to get a hell of a lot better as well. So I'm just going to take a moment and shout out here that the visual comedy <laughs> for this episode is absolute gold is fabulous i think when it comes to doing episodes for susan this is the standard that you want to get you want to give susan a problem that's relatable like being at a certain age where you start menopause which can be very emotional but handled in a very unrelatable fashion but you want (laughs) us you want you want her to handle it in a susan way yeah (laughs) and you want visual comedy and you want her spiraling but it's not it's not even susan the visual comedy with we're about to get with brie is (laughs) Is also fantastic. Like, just this whole scene has gold visual. Like, chefs, <laughs> I'm giving it a chef's kiss. This whole scene gets a chef's kiss for its visual comedy. Oh, we'll, we'll get to Brie. <laughs> so, Julie then runs into Dylan and gives her a big hug, but Dylan has no idea who this girl is mm. and has to be reminded by Catherine that Julie was her best friend growing up on the lane. She then gives Dylan some licorice, which apparently was her favourite, and this also seems to confuse Dylan, which is understandable because licorice is disgusting. Yeah. But the fact that Dylan can't remember anything is very concerning. Well, it depends, because how old was Dylan when she left the lane? But Julie remembers. Yeah. But Julie remembers so well. Like, so well. Yeah, but she remembers a very intelligent girl. Yeah, but she she even remembers her favourite sweets. Yeah. Very strange. I still remember my old best friend before I moved from Nottingham. I remember my best friend from primary school, and that was around this age. Mm. But I mean, well... I don't think it was around that age. No, I must have been younger. As as in, like, for the entirety of primary school. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, but I just think, I I think Julie and Dylan were younger than primary school. Really? Yeah. I don't think so. I think so. But, like, I was four when I left Nottingham. Wait, didn't you say that they, it's been about seven years? And how old is Dylan? Oh, maybe. Yeah. So So she would have been nine or ten? Yes, that's true. So it is, it is odd. Back to Susan and Mike. (laughs) Susan has now told Mike all about her expiring eggs, which Mike really doesn't care about as they already agreed not to have kids anyway. But Susan is panicking and spiralling. Mike can't find a nice way to shut her up, so he just kisses her. But this just leads to more crying. (laughs) Thought you were getting someone in your prime and instead you get someone dry and dusty. (laughs) (laughs) Which made that made him laugh. I love that his reaction to all of it is just a laugh. He's like, oh, Sue. <laughs> oh my God, Sue. Oh God. <laughs> they then look over to see Edie and Carlos entering the barbecue. Hmm. Like, if someone wants kids, could they ever be fine giving that choice up? Like, I don't think a lot of people out there would be happy to do that. Like, if you want kids, that's that's something you want. And that's it, there's very, very few people, I think, out there that would be willing to, to forgo having kids. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think it's probably difficult as well because... 
Mike could have had kids by this point, but there's just been so many factors in his life leading up to this moment which have really stopped him. You know, he had Dana I mean, Mike, going off the wagon, yeah, I was about to going say, Mike, to prison how many times? Mike does have a child, but it's not his child yeah. anymore. Like, he lost out on that. And yeah, he's got Julie now in a, to a certain extent, but Julie's obviously not his child. And Julie's also old enough to not see Mike as a father figure either. Exactly. Maybe you can adopt so, if you really want to. Yeah. So Edie and Carlos get a nice introduction for the, from the other ladies at the barbecue, and Edie thinks the barbecue is a party that they have thrown for her. Mm. <laughs> Everyone has been really supportive except Gabby, who looks just really annoyed by the whole situation. And it doesn't help when Edie says that her and Carlos have spoken about marriage. Yeah. Catherine then introduces herself to Edie, and Edie thanks Catherine for coming to her party. <laughs> It's so weird. Like, Edie makes it sound like it's just casual conversation between her and Carlos, this whole marriage thing. She's like, oh, yeah, no, we've decided that we're going to get married. I know, she's like, we've even been talking about marriage. Yeah, just so casual. But she only says that when Carlos has walked off. Yeah. And the problem now is everyone's on eggshells around Edie because, you know, the sensitivity of, you know, attempted suicide. So nobody wants to tell her that this party isn't for her. Also, Edie, if they were throwing you a party... It probably wouldn't have properly begun until you'd got there. Yeah, I know. Gabby then goes up to Carlos to fake congratulate him on the proposal. Best wishes! But he insists that it isn't a real engagement. Mm. This bit kind of annoys me. Me too. Because Carlos just annoys me in general, obviously, but he's... Does it annoy you for the same reason it annoys me? Well, let's find out. He's skating around the problem and it could inevitably make it so much worse in the future. Yeah. Because he thinks that Edie has legitimately tried to commit suicide over this. And now he's sort of doing Leading fake her proposals. On. And yeah. yeah, that is just not helpful behaviour, yeah. Carlos. Okay, that is annoying, but that's not why I'm annoyed at Carlos. Is yours to do with Gabby? <laughs> Partly, yeah. Okay. So, like, Gabby makes a shitty comment about ED. And she's like, oh, that old battle axe will outlive us all or whatever. <laughs> and then Carlos snaps at Gabby and was like, don't call her that, blah, blah, blah. But then Carlos can cheat on ED and it'd be fine. Yeah. So I'm just like, come on, like, sort it out, Carlos. Gabby can't call her a name but you can sleep with other people behind her back and lead her on into thinking that you're wanting something more committed. Oh, it's awful. Like, this is it's such, just such Carlos behaviour. I want Gabby and Carlos back together, but not like this. <laughs> not like this. Not <laughs> like this. This isn't the way, guys. This, it really isn't. Just leave your other halves and go. Just don't go sneaking around on the other one. I do appreciate how it would be harder for Gabby to leave her other half, considering... They're married. They're married. He's the mayor of the town, and he's already sort of shown this rather unhinged dark side. Yeah, to him. very sort of snappy and shouty. Yeah. Like, that could easily get violent. And considering he's clearly using Gabby for the minority vote, he's not going to let her go easy. No, he's not. But that also makes it easier for me to say, yeah, it's fine for Gabby to cheat on him. <laughs> no, no. And <laughs> yeah. that guy. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, I'm sitting here moaning, just leave your other half and go. I do understand why it would be harder for Gabby to leave hers. That's probably why they wanted to run away together. Yeah. And but... it's difficult for Carlos to leave Edie because of the sensitivity of the matter. But at the same time... You're doing more harm. Yeah, you are potentially doing more harm. Yeah. If she like if you think she actually tried to commit suicide. Yeah. Moving on, we now have what I've put as the stabby baby moment. This is the I think this is possibly one of B's favourite scenes in Desperate Housewives history. It's this is the best part of the episode. It's I think it's <laughs> up there in the in the top ten scenes for B. Top five. Top five. There we go. We then cut to Brie at the barbecue and she's on the phone while one of the twins is using one of those big barbecue forks to grab some food and he leaves it sticking out in quite a precarious way. Okay, who raised this child? It's so dangerous. Anyway, yeah. but this bit is so funny. When she's off the phone, Brie then moves over to the table and 
the sharp barbecue fork penetrates the fake baby belly and she doesn't even notice. No. She just carries on talking to Orson with this giant fork sticking out of her belly. Yeah. <laughs> and Ida notices and starts freaking out thinking that the baby's just been stabbed. Yeah. Where is Adam? He's a doctor. <laughs> they call over Catherine's doctor husband, Adam, and Orson makes up that it's just a pie trick. It's just a trick fork from a magic shop and starts like stabbing, stabbing the Brie. belly. Yeah, it's Bree. See, retractable. And he's like stabbing Bree. <laughs> oh, my baby. Oh, my baby. <laughs> <laughs> they then decide that they should run off and freak out Karen next. Yeah, yeah. Let's go freak out Mrs. McCluskey. <laughs> he's such a scamp. <laughs> Honestly, it is so lucky that Adam didn't ask to have a go and just stab Ida with it. Oh my god. He's like, oh yeah, let's have a look. <laughs> like, you should probably take that fork away. Yeah. Just in case. You're bleeding. <laughs> when he started just stabbing the baby, like, it's retractable, see? I was like, oh, careful. It's a long blade. It's so funny. Oh, oh my baby. Oh, my baby. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so good. Lynette then has another run-in with the bossy PTA wine mum, who tells... Give it a rest. Have a scotch. (laughs) Who tells Lynette how surprised she was to find out that Lynette hasn't started the decorations for the gala, and she gets super bitchy about the fact that she hadn't even picked up the packet. Why is this woman even here? This is a barbecue for the neighbourhood, not the whole of Fairview. I know. I think she just knew that Lynette would be here. She probably didn't even know this was happening. No. And then she hands her the packet. Yeah. You haven't even picked up the packet. You forgot to pick up the packet. God, Muriel. Ugh. Ugh. We get this really sad moment where Lynette tries but is too tired to pick up Penny. And so Stella takes care of her instead and Lynette just looks just what? really upset. What the fuck, Grandma? Like, give this little girl a complex, why don't you? Mommy's got to conserve her energy for more important things. <laughs> give this little girl a complex, why don't you? Oh my god, Grandma. Don't worry, she's too young to even know what's happening. No, but she will register comments like that. Those are comments that stick with us. Penny looks older. Yeah, Penny does look older. She's, she's like, like proper growing up. Yeah. She's not a little baby now. No, she looks like a like a little toddler. She looks like at least three. Poor Lynette. Hmm. Brie and Orson start panicking about the whole situation and how many near misses they've had with the fake baby, and they have a little argument. Orson thinks that they should have another week away and they can just pretend that Brie had a miscarriage. But Brie is concerned about what would happen with Danielle's baby and tells him that Danielle can't raise the baby because basically she sucks. She's a mess. Like, way to slag off Danielle when she isn't even around. I know, she's like, and I can say that because I'm her mom. Uh, I can say that because I love her. Danielle's (laughs) awful. (laughs) After an emotional crying moment, it boils down to Brie wanting a second chance at raising a child after how badly the last two attempts have gone. Yeah, like, maybe give Danielle the chance to rise to the occasion. Like, many women find that they don't realise how adept they are at motherhood until they're in it. Like, most are terrified at first, and, you know, there are a lot of young mothers that I'm sure were shallow and selfish until the child came along, and then the priorities shift. Yeah. Brie, of all people, should know that a massive lie like this, and what she's concocting will eventually be revealed at some point. Well, yeah, because it happened to Orson. Especially with how petty Danielle is. Yeah. Like, you must know this is going to bite you in the ass. Well, yeah, because it, all these lies in Bree's life always come back. It happened with Rex. You know, Rex was lying and that came out. It happened with Orson. Like, it's just, she sees it all the time. So you would think that she would know. But, like, Orson really does put up with a lot. Yeah. He is putting up with a lot. But then again... He's probably used to it. He's like, oh, this is just normal life. <laughs> yeah, well, he's probably only doing it because Bree t- knows too much shit. And he's kind of just <laughs> stuck now. He's like, great, I'm kind of stuck with this woman. But like you said, Brie, I'm her mother. You're, you're Danielle's mother. You know how petty she is as well. Yeah. So 
you can't keep this charade going. There's yeah. no way. No. So Orson agrees to let the charade continue rather than properly address the issue because this is a TV show. Mm-hmm. If I was Orson, I would lift up her skirt and rip off that baby bump right there and then. I'd be like, come on, we'll just tell everyone now, rip. So on, on, yeah, on surface level, it's a crazy, ridiculous scheme, but we do get the kind of conclusion to Bree's story for the episode. Yeah. We understand why she's doing it. Yes. Muriel finally comes to blows with Lynette after Lynette tells her that she's just been too tired to do anything. She starts to have a go at her and says all about her own aches and pains and, oh, Lynette, everyone's tired. And then Lynette pulls off her wig and says that she has cancer. Proper how to get away with murder moment right there. (laughs) So Muriel agrees to give someone else the job. I'll give Helen a call. (laughs) Yeah, just awkwardly runs off like, oh. All the women see and react to this. Yeah, Gabby, Susan and Brie see this from across the street. And Karen in the background just doesn't even notice. She's just there (laughs) chatting to someone else in the background. (laughs) This was a real moment. Like, the the women just looking across the street. I think one of them puts their hands to their mouth like, what? Probably Brie. Probably Brie. Probably Brie. She seems like a hand-to-mouth kind of woman. That sounds dirty. (laughs) (laughs) So they all have a conversation and Lynette tells them all that she's going to beat the cancer and it's not going to kill her. And Gabby's like, yeah, but we might kill you for not telling us. <laughs> and I was like, I can relate to that. Yes. <laughs> they reiterate that they've already agreed to be more open after Mary Alice's suicide. And then they decide that they shouldn't keep any more secrets. And they should tell each other every truth, no matter how dirty and horrible. They all put their hands in, except for Brie for a moment. Until Susan asks if she's in or not. And after a moment's hesitation and holding on to her fake baby bump, Brie puts her hand in and agrees that they should all be totally open and honest. The cheek, the nerve, the audacity, the gall and the gumption of Brie looking dead in the eyes of these women and agreeing to tell them everything and not hold secrets <laughs> while she's holding her secret baby bump. Yeah. Like her like her fake bump. Which has holes in it now. Yeah, it does. Orson's ruined it. <laughs> just I, like, I charge like Lynette. Whole plan. I charge Lynette. Like, excuse me, but your son has just pierced my belly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was a... That was a dramatic moment, wasn't it? It was a really dramatic moment. Lynette's just not giving her friends enough credit. I mean, she's like, oh, like, you can't tell your friends that you're sick. You can see it in their eyes, the pity, the fear, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, you're not giving your friends enough credit. Yeah, even she's like, is that, is that what you see in our eyes? Yeah. So the barbecue is over, and we're now with Gabby and Victor. She tells him that she's been really unhappy, and she wants them to go away for a while and rediscover what made them fall in love. So clearly she's just like, you know what? Screw Carlos. Mm-hmm. Victor then gets all sexy and starts going through his planner to see when he's free. Mm. And eventually he's like, I've got two whole weeks in April. Yeah. Like, I, I appreciate that Gabby's trying with Victor now, but at the same time, he does have a job. Yeah, I know. So it's easy for Gabby to say, great, I'm free next week. But exactly. Victor doesn't have that. This isn't what Gabby wants, though. She's no. just like, oh, he has to go for his planner to make time for me. I need someone that can make time for me all the time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so... This isn't what Gabby wants. No. No. And to be fair, I'm not really sure what his holiday entitlement will be as mayor. (laughs) Carlos is heading out and tells Edie he's going over to the Scarvos for some beers. She wants to come too, but he tells her no because he can't hold her hand 24-7 and she has to start letting him do things and trust him for the relationship to work, leaving her looking quite confused and disappointed. Mm. He then heads over to Gabby's house and they proceed to start just making out on the floor. Well, Gabby tried for a little bit. In the hallway, in front of the front door. She tried with Victor for the space of about three minutes and then went straight back to Carlos. This follows a theme of, I think it's an unintentional theme of Gabby not being great at affairs. 
hey, she got away with having an affair with John for ages. But even you pointed out that they were doing it on the dining table in front of a massive window. Oh, yeah. Point. And like, they're, they're doing it on the hall- in the hallway. It's pure luck that they, they never got caught for as long as they did. But <laughs> <laughs> And it's going to be pure luck if this doesn't get discovered soon. Yeah. So Julie is with Dylan and showing her a photo of her old boyfriend from primary school. But Dylan says that she doesn't remember anything from living on Wisteria Lane. Mm. which is Oh yeah, primary school, you're right. That's dodgy. Yeah, that is dodge. Julie asks what her earliest memory is and Dylan admits that she doesn't know if it's a memory or some sort of creepy dream. But she thinks that her earliest memory is of her waking up in the middle of the night and seeing a creepy guy standing in her doorway. Julie agrees, yes, that is quite a creepy memory slash dream. <laughs> Julie's literally there like, what the fuck, Dylan? <laughs> yeah, that is pretty creepy, yeah. That's messed up, girl. It just grabs her back and she's like, okay, well, bye. <laughs> <laughs> she asks if she's seen a therapist about it, but apparently <laughs> Catherine gets really angry whenever this whole situation is even brought up. Damn, even Julie's there like, yeah, you should really see someone. <laughs> right. That's weird, girl. But yay for Julie for, you know, being all about mental health. Yeah, right. See, a, see therapist. a therapist. Like, normalise it. Yay for you, Julie. Get rid of that stigma. Yeah. Ooh, the mystery. The mm. season, we now have, we clearly have a season mystery going on here. We do have a season mystery going on. I can't wait for you guys to know about it. <laughs> Nor can I. <laughs> <laughs> We're now at Susan's house and Catherine's doctor husband walks in. He gives Susan her results and it's great news because she isn't starting menopause. And then, as Mike walks in through the back door, he tells Susan that she's pregnant. Mike can walk in through my back door. What? (laughs) What? What does that even mean, walk in? (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) At first, Mike looks concerned, and I think it's only for a few seconds, but it's given the audience that moment of, oh my god, is Mike going to freak out? Yeah. And then he he just bursts into a smile and gives Susan a big hug, telling her he's never been happier, and Susan believes him. Oh, finally. Given us a nice conclusion to Susan's story for the episode. Yeah. She believes him now. She does believe He's him. happy. But for how long? Because we all know what Susan's like. I guess when she's really big and she has to waddle around. Right. Imagine, and he has to massage her big stumpy feet. Imagine her paranoia when she's pregnant. There's a lot of pregnancy. There is. There season, is a lot of this pregnancy. Show. This show is all about pregnancy and fake pregnancies. Yeah. Edie comes downstairs to find Carlos sleeping on the sofa. He wakes up and says he got in late and he didn't want to wake her up. But she says not to worry as she trusts him. She then says it's a shame that he doesn't trust her more though and asks why he hasn't told her about his offshore bank account. And we've got a clip for this. Okay, um, I know how this looks. What did you think I was gonna do? Tell people? Turn you in? Try to get my little hands on it? I don't care about money, Carlos. All I care about is you. That's why this relationship is going to work. You can trust me with your secrets. Just like I can trust you not to hurt me. Oh, so that was, quite frankly, Edie threatening Carlos. Why have they made Edie this, like, mentally obsessed girlfriend that just can't handle being without Carlos all of a sudden? I don't know. I feel like it's just ruining Edie's character a bit. Yeah, it's a strange choice considering that Edie for most of the seasons up until recently was very much kind of a loner but like a confident loner she's like i'm perfectly fine on my own yeah and i thought it was nice when they gave her this moment where she thought you know i'm kind of tired of being the party girl maybe i do want a serious relationship but now that you've just gone like completely crazy with her yeah (laughs) to the fact where she's threatening him Mm. So, yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about this. I mean, she's certainly trapping Carlos. Oh, she really is. 
And how is that going to end? Carlos doesn't do well in those sorts of situations. No. I mean, as long as Edie's happy and Carlos isn't, I'm fine with it. Oh, God. <laughs> I think it's a perfect situation. Mm. So, everything that we've recorded after this point, for some reason, just didn't record because of audio hardware. So, we're going to re-record this. So, sorry if it doesn't sound natural. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, the episode ends as Mary Alice talks about a time of mourning when women think about the secrets they're hiding from their friends and how shocked they'd be if the truth was discovered. In this montage, we see that Lynette isn't wearing a wig in public anymore and she's just wearing a headscarf. We also get a bit here where everyone's looking out their windows, so this also counts as a Susan staring out the window moment. Yep, yeah, so we haven't had one of those for a while. No. Julie then comes downstairs and Susan asks why she looks so concerned, and Julie tells her that the girl she's been hanging around with is not the same girl that she was best friends with as a child. And I oop. So before the episode ends, we also get this scene where Catherine is in a dark, creepy looking room in the house and her husband walks in. Apparently, Dylan has asked if she can move into this room, but Catherine won't let her after what's happened in the past. He then asks if they made the right decision moving back here, but she then asks him if they even had a choice. And they end the episode by leaving the dark room and closing the door behind them. Interesting. Yes. We now have a dark, spooky room, which also acts as a place of mystery and intrigue, kind of like the Applewhite cellar. Yeah, yeah. And we've got Julie here as Miss Marple, (laughs) giving the audience all of the interrogation that we need. Yeah, we've got the season mystery all set up now as well. Yes, it's a great mystery, guys. Is there something wrong with Dylan? Has she suffered some trauma that's made her forget things? Is she a robot? Did it happen in this creepy room? Yeah. Why have Catherine and her husband, her family have to move back? Yeah, in? like we've got two mysteries now, essentially. We've got who is this Dylan chick? And why doesn't she have any sort of memories of what happened before previously? And why did they have to move back to Wisteria Lane? Mm, I guess we'll find out. So that was the end of season four, episode one. And we're now going to move on to our next segments where Joel's going to give us the, um, not the gayest and straightest moment. No, yes, the gayest and straightest moment. Yeah. Sorry, I, was, I, I thought I'd got your segment wrong and it was the old one or something. No, no, gayest and straightest moment. <laughs> and then I'm going to give the best and the worst parent. So Joel, what do you have for gayest moment? So gayest moment. Goes to both Catherine and Brie for their sort of, quarrel that they are now having to figure out who is the alpha between them who is top dog who is the top dog on the street and this is what happens guys when two gays join the same office and they have to try and figure out who the alpha is who's the one that gets to be you know on the planning committee and lead the planning committee while the other one's just that little weirdo that sits in the corner by themselves exactly with this situation you have to figure out who's the gay with the privileges yeah Who's the gay that gets to walk to the front of the queue, throw everyone else's paper on the floor and say, move, I'm gay. Exactly. Because if you have more than one, it starts to feel unfair. Yeah. And plus, like, when you when two gays meet each other in the same workplace, it's like peacock feathers, okay? They're, like, showing off to show, you know, I'm I'm the better gay. Who are you? Ugh, this gay doesn't know anything about fashion or theatre or all <laughs> those cliche gay shit. Are you coming for me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> It does depend, though, because if they're both single, they're probably just going to sleep with each other. Mm, but if, if they're in relationships, then it's like, Ugh. evil stare. Yeah, right? Ugh. I'm the gay in this office. <laughs> not you. I'm the Mary. <laughs> I'm the Mary. <laughs> You're a pasty hag on her deathbed. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my gayest moment. And who do you have for straightest moment? My straightest moment... Goes to Tom for that sports blooper DVD. <laughs> Rightly so. Because, like, that is, you could not have got a more straight thing 
than a sports blooper DVD. And I doubt Lynette even likes it. <laughs> Tom's like, oh, Lynette, babe, I've heard you're really unwell. So here's this thing that I've been really wanting to watch for ages. I got it to cheer you up. I know, right? It's like when someone's like, do you want a beer? I'm like, a beer? Yeah, right. Uh, to do what? <laughs> what do I do with it? <laughs> <laughs> At least you didn't get like a Man United headscarf. No, well, it would be American. Don't be American football. It'd be like, I don't know, something like the Ocelots or I don't know, American football teams. So um, those are my awards. And we are now moving on to B section for best and worst parents. So B, who do you have for the best parent of the episode? My award for best parent of the episode goes to Catherine for not letting her daughter move into that spooky bedroom. (laughs) (gasps) Oh my god, I had no idea that was the award. (laughs) It may just be the show trying to convey a feeling of unease through darkness and creepy music, but that room is creepy. Yeah. I mean, the girl's already having nightmares, just being close to the room. (laughs) Right? I can't let her move into this weird room with its weird (laughs) angles and there's no light in here. Right? And this weird, like, chip in the floor. (gasps) Like, what's that all about? She's there, like, feeling the floor, this little chip. (laughs) Okay, cool. So who do you have for your worst parent of the episode? My award for? Worst parent of the episode. Oh, I've missed these stings. <laughs> it's been too long since we've had these stings. It has. I do not have any award for worst parent of this episode. Okay. I mean, even Stella was nice in this episode. She looks after Lynette. She picks up Penny for her. But at this stage, there isn't anything that strikes me as off without being able to spoil the season. <laughs> I mean, what about Bree slagging off Danielle behind her back? I think that's just commonplace. Oh my god. <laughs> Fuck Danielle, right? <laughs> I, can't, I can't give Brie a bad award for that. It's rightly deserved. Yeah. <laughs> so those are my awards. Okay, well, thank you for those awards. So that ends season four, episode one, Now You Know. Joel, where can people contact us if they have any questions, theories, comments and queries, or just for a, just for a chat? Just for a general chat. You can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review, and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. You can also email us. Our email address is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com. And all of our artwork is done by our friend Louis, who is on, he's on Instagram currently as Doc Redmonk Design, where he also has a link to his Etsy page and he does commissions. He does. Unfortunately, because it's been like three seasons in an episode though, (laughs) so that's a pain, that name's going to be changing. (laughs) Yeah, that name will be changing. He is currently asking me to help him rebrand. So we are going through some things, but it's very early stages. So Doc Redmonk will probably be around for a little while longer still. Yeah. We'll announce in the episode when it's all done what the new name is. And we'll just yeah. put, we'll just edit it in the descriptions. Yeah. And that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you very much for listening. Join us next week. We'll be back in your ear holes with season four, episode two, Smiles of a Summer Night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.